Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 159 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Monday, December 21st, 2020. And we have the sad music. And we have the sad music for a reason, because with their loss to the Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots have been eliminated from postseason contention, meaning we will all be spectators without rooting interests when the playoffs kick off in January for the first time since 2008, that season with Tom Brady went down in week one. And Matt Castle and Randy Moss and company came up short despite winning 11 games. And what we typically do in post-game shows is the good, the bad, the ugly, big themes, work through plays. I think what I want to do in this installment is in the first half of the show talk a little bit about this game and why I think the Patriots lost this game. And in the second half of the show, it's time again, and we've been nibbling around it, to start thinking about the future. Now that they're officially eliminated, it's time to really start thinking about the future. Before we do any of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Do follow along on the hijinks at Mark Schofield on the Bird app. Check out the work. Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Three different SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course, right here, Pat's Pulpit. And yes, Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today. Wire Network. Power Rankings. Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year. Schofield's QB Camp. Like Those are the stuff you'll be looking for early in the week from me, as well as the Touchdown Wire matchup podcast, Doug Ferrar and I release that every Thursday, go through pretty much every single game, every angle, X's and O's, scheme. It, we dive into it all. goes for about an hour or so. Definitely check that out. Let's talk about this game. I want to start with a little bit of the micro and then a little bit of the macro. There was a sequence in this game that I thought really sort of encapsulated this loss, the season, pretty much everything. Fourth quarter, Patriots, seventh drive of the game. They're down 15-9. to nine. And as everybody that's listening to the show knows, I take notes, pen and paper. I allude to it a lot. And how I do it is I, before each drive, I make note of the current score. And next to that, I wrote need six. Because you're down 15 to nine. You needed a touchdown at this point. You'd gotten three field goals, whatever. You needed a touchdown. And they actually got a huge play on third and 15, a big play in the passing game. Gain at 23 again in, into the middle of the field. Cam Newton throws a dart to Damian Bird. Bird makes a good adjustment on it. Next play, first and 10. You know, Newton slides a little bit. I think that pass got tipped by a defender coming around the arc, but you get a flag for illegal contact, automatic first down. Next, first and 10, Sony Michelle inside for a run of 15. You get great blocking from the guys in the interior, Mason, Tooney, getting up to the second level. Now you get another first and 10, Sony Michelle for a gain of two, second and eight. You go sort of that zone inverted veer read. He gives it to Michelle, gain of four, third and four. And the throw on third and four, and I've gone back to look at it, and I really do think it was Haas. A seam route to Dalton Keene is high and incomplete. And I wrote next to that play, not what we expected the year to be, but here we are. 
in a pivotal must-win game to keep your slim playoff hopes alive on a critical third and four. They had a seam route to Dalton Keene from Cam Newton. And it's not where we thought we would be, but it is where we are. And then when that pass fell incomplete, field goal team comes on and full hits his fourth of the game, and it's 15-12, and you're thinking, okay, okay, maybe you can get a stop. Maybe you can get a stop. Maybe you can hold them to a field goal, and it's still just a six-point, one-score game. And Miami went right down the field. You had... Dalton Smythe running over J.C. Jackson in the flat. You had Matt Breida on a split zone for a gain of 24. Matt Breida again inside for a gain of 8. You finally get the Tua Tungo Viola sneak for the touchdown. That was the game on sort of the micro level. That was the game right there, that sequence. They needed a touchdown. They couldn't get it. They needed to hold Miami somehow out of the end zone, off the board, hold them to a field goal, whatever. They couldn't do it. That was the game sort of in the micro sense. The game, and in a sense this season, in a macro sense, was the fact that this offense couldn't put the ball in the end zone when they needed to. And I made a comment in the Scotia Slack channel that you know, at the end of the game when it looked like they were sort of on the cusp of field goal range and maybe you kick the field goal early and then try for the extra onside kick. There was a, you know, as there always is, there was a well-reasoned discussion about it in the Slack channel and my sort of drive-by comment was this. It doesn't matter. The team's not going to score a touchdown. It's a team that doesn't look like it could score a touchdown on a first and goal from the one situation. Nothing matters. Eat at Arby's. Like, that was my drive-by pithy little comment in the midst of doing everything I do on Sundays. And if I sound frustrated, yeah, I'm frustrated right now. Uh, because this is a team that could have been better. It's a year that could have been different. Now, do I think that you know this was a team that could have contended for a Super Bowl or anything like that? No. But a couple of weeks ago, I came, did a post-game show, and said, this team's fun. This team's fun to watch. I believe it was after the Arizona game. This is a team that's fun to watch. The past couple of weeks haven't been fun. The past couple of weeks haven't been fun at all. And the big problem is this offense just couldn't do anything this year. And I'm not joking when I say, look, it feels like this is an offense that couldn't score in a first-and-goal situation from the one-yard line because we've seen that kind of play out at times this year, struggling to score. Charles Davis in the booth today. When it gets into the red zone, it's much tougher for this team. For all the reasons we've talked about this year, for all the reasons we've talked about over the years I've been doing this show or variations of this show, things get tougher down in the red zone. You basically have extra defenders that come into play with the end line. Sidelines more of a factor down in the end zone. Space gets constricted at times. Throwing lanes are tougher. Running is tougher. Everything's tougher. And it's been a theme with this Patriots team over the past couple of years. Remember 2018, last year, we were all pulling our hair out collectively. This team can't get it done in the red zone. This year, it was like everything was a struggle just to get there. And then it's like that episode where Homer in The Simpsons climbs the mountain and he thinks he's gotten to the top 
and suddenly the clouds wash away and he's got like another 600 feet to climb or more. Like that's what it felt like get into the red zone with this team. It's like, okay, great, we're here now. And oh my God, we have so much farther to go. This is an offense that couldn't get it done this year. And we all know the discussion that is going to happen over the next couple of weeks, next couple of days even, in the next couple of months. What to do about the quarterback position. We know that's where this is going, and you know that's probably where we're going to spend the second half of the show is talking about the quarterback position. It's not all the quarterback. It's not all Cam Newton. Were there some throws he missed on Sunday? Absolutely. Were there some reads that he missed on Sunday? Absolutely. Were there some plays that he missed on Sunday? Absolutely. But it's not all him. But the problem is this is a quarterback league. We've been spoiled, spoiled rotten with some of the best quarterback play this league has ever seen for the past 20 years. And now we're seeing it from a different vantage point. But that will be the discussion now. And we will get into the whole quarterback and what to do in the future discussion just after this break. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 159 of the Sco Show. And it's time to talk about the future. It's time to talk about the 2021 New England Patriots. And that process starts with the next two weeks. The games still count. Everything counts. And I'm not saying that they should go in and try to lose these next two games, finish 6-10, and and set yourself up for maybe a a top-12 pick. But the evaluation process for 2021 begins these next two weeks. And I don't think that that necessarily says that you start Jared Stidham in Week 16 against the Buffalo Bills. But at some point, whether it's week 16 or week 17, Jared Stidham has to be given the chance to be a starter. Full on, this is your week, prepare, it's your game, you're getting the call, all that stuff. Not even just to get a sense of what you've got in Stidham. I think you kind of have a sense of what you have if you're the New England Patriots and Jared Stidham. But you have to make a decision. Is he worthy of one of the quarterback spots next year? And I do think that the evaluation process with Cam Newton isn't done. I think these have been strange circumstances this entire season. But you have to make a decision on whether you're going to want to resign this guy or not. And I don't think, as I said in the first half of the show, that the offensive woes are solely on the quarterback. I think he's part of the problem and a big part of the problem with that. This is a team with a very good offensive line and a pretty good running back group and a couple of emerging receiving threats in Damier Bird and Jacoby Myers and even Nikhil Harry had some moments against Miami. But the combination of receiving threats on this roster right now with what you have in Cam Newton doesn't mesh well. And what I mean by that is this. These guys are getting NFL open. They're getting NFL open. Cam Newton right now, whether it's injuries catching up with them or just who he is as a quarterback, 
NFL Open is sometimes good, but not always good enough. Ball placement, pristine ball placement isn't his thing. It's why some throws that even get completed, there's minimal yardage after the catch. Because the throws to the, you know, the other hip, the other shoulder, guys have to make adjustments. They can't maintain their speed into and out of a break upon making a reception because they've got to make an adjustment that negates the opportunity for yardage after the catch. And this is an offense over the past 20 years that prided itself on yardage after the catch. And so the question is, do you bring this guy back? Now, I've argued before that I still think he should get a shot at winning this job. But I by no means think that that should be anywhere close to guaranteed. And the vast majority of Patriots fans and taking spins around Twitter are basically at this point, give us anybody but this guy next year. And I understand that sentiment. You know, this offense is not executing at a level we are accustomed to. But a large part of that is the fact that Tom Brady masked all manners of sins. We know this. We've seen it. Cam Newton is a very athletic, very good quarterback. One of the 32 people in the world that can do this. But where the Patriots are right now from a roster construction standpoint, Newton's game doesn't quite mesh that well with the guys around him. Because like I said, these guys are getting NFL open. But that might not be enough. So where do you go from there? If Cam Newton isn't the guy, if you're one of the people out there listening to this that are like, forget it, I don't want this guy anywhere near this roster next year. Well, then you better hope that they play Jared Stidham in one or both of these next two games and he plays well, number one. And number two, you got to hope that they either like somebody in the draft and hit on that guy and do the job right with him or that there's somebody in free agency that they can make a run at. Now, in addition to Cam Newton, there are some other quarterbacks that are going to be available. The biggest name among them is Dakota Rain Prescott, Dak Prescott. Would Dak Prescott in a Patriots uniform be incredible? Absolutely. Would we perhaps some have, have some of those same problems, though? I also think so. Look, Dak Prescott isn't exactly known for his ball placement. He's good, though. But what's interesting about Dak is when he really sort of took a step forward over the past couple of years is when they got Amari Cooper, who's very good at getting separation. Phillip Rivers is out there. Mitchell Trubisky. Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, do you go the Ryan Fitzpatrick draft a young guy route? I guess you could do that. Fitzpatrick hasn't played for... All four AFC East teams yet. That would be quite the little trophy on his mantle, right? Of playing for all four AFC East teams. But I mean, you know, the Tyrod Taylors, the Andy Daltons, the Colt McCoys, like outside of Dak, there really isn't somebody that's sort of like moving the needle for people. Nick Mullins? I don't think anybody's going in on that one right now. And he's still just a restricted free agent. C.J. Beathard? Brandon Allen? So then you're looking at the draft. 
And there's a lot of time to get worked up over these draft quarterbacks. There truly is. But there are going to be teams that need quarterbacks ahead of you in the draft. Jacksonville, the Jets, Carolina might go quarterback. Atlanta might go quarterback. Detroit might go quarterback. San Francisco might go quarterback. Denver might go quarterback. You might see Lawrence, Fields, Lance, Zach Wilson. You might see those four come off the board in the top six or seven of this draft. And then are you going Kyle Trask, Mac Jones with picks, say, 15, 14, 16 in the draft? If they do something like that and let Kyle Pitts go by them, I'm going to lose my mind. But that's, again, sitting here right now. Obviously, when I get more time to really dive into this draft class, I might get blown away. But that's kind of where I want to end this discussion, which is it does look like we are getting a full-on quarterback evaluation draft cycle as New England Patriots fans. And as somebody that spends all of his time writing about thinking about, doing videos about, studying, reading, overthinking the quarterback position. This is like on a tee for me. So I want to share something that I've kind of thought about in terms of quarterback evaluation as we all get ready to start diving into these guys and spending the next five months of our lives debating the nuance of manipulating defenders in the field at the third level and things like that. Because we are going to get into the weeds, my friends. And it's something that I talked about a little bit earlier in this year, but I want to sort of drill it into everybody's minds because this is where I'm going to be focused. Having done this now professionally for five years, going on six, actually this is year six, going on seven almost, As I said earlier in this year, I think there are two things that you need as a young quarterback to be successful early in your career. Because you need to be early successful early in your career because that's how you get to keep running out there. You need to have mobility and you need to have good enough accuracy to put the ball against the leverage defenders where it needs to be put. Mobility and leverage. like Those are the things that you need. Because you've got if you've got those in today's NFL, you can be successful. And I think a great example of that is Justin Herbert. Because one of the things that I loved about Justin Herbert coming out of Oregon was his ability to turn any throw he wanted to, any route, anywhere on the field, into a back shoulder throw and put it where it needed to be. One of my favorite throws of his was from his junior year, Right hash mark to left sideline. It was like a 49-yard throw that he turned into a back shoulder because the defender was playing from inside-out leverage. If you can put the football where it needs to be, that's we can work with that. And a lot of people will say, well, this is just accuracy. It's a little bit different because what I'm trying to say about leverage is I, don't, I used to be fascinated with how guys would read coverages, right? Over the first couple of years I was doing this, I would spend so much time 
in the pre-snap phase of a play when watching a player taking notes on, okay, this is the leverage, this is the, this is what he's seeing, this is where the cornerback's feet, there's your zone keys, his man keys, this is what he thinks the coverage probably is based on the look that he's getting, this is what I actually rotated into, these are the route concepts that I would try to find, that playbook, route concepts, what are his reads supposed to be, take that and just throw it out the window. That's where I'm at with all of that. Because in today's NFL, today's offenses, so many teams with younger quarterbacks just saying, look, man side left, zone side right, or whatever the case is, to tell me, tell me if it's figure out if it's man versus zone, and then attack the defender you want to attack. And you can do that by attacking that defender's leverage. And if you can do that and put the ball where it needs to be with respect to where that defender is playing your receiver, you're gonna be okay. We could fill in the rest around your first and second year in the NFL. But if you can do that, you're off to a good start. But you also need the mobility piece. And you don't need to be Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson. You don't need to be super mobile. But you need to create space. You cannot be a stationary target in today's NFL. You have to, at the very least, have the footwork and pocket awareness of Tom Brady. And listen to what I just said. You have to, very, at the very least, have, if you're not mobile, the, the greatest quarterback of all time's pocket awareness and feel. So you're probably not getting that, so you need to have some ability. Joe Burrow is athletic enough and mobile enough where he can create space as a passer, but you need to have that. So that, in my mind, is sort of my baseline threshold of quarterback evaluation at this point. And you start to fill in the gaps along the way. And one of the things that smart coaches can do, and I'm going to write about this a little bit more, it's something I've been flushing out of my mind, is to expand the decision-making window. You know, one of my favorite pieces that I ever wrote for Inside the Pylon talked about getting hit, sky, everything that goes through a quarterback's mind in the buildup to the snap of the football and then after the snap, right? We need to take that, say, 2.5 seconds from time to throw, like from snap to throw, if that's what we're looking at as the decision-making window, we need to expand that. Four seconds, five seconds. So before the play, give quarterbacks all the information you can give them so then that decision-making window is bigger. I mean, if you have, a, as a head coach or an offensive coordinator, as a play caller, play designer, have made it so the quarterback's decision is made when the ball is snapped and he knows exactly where to go with the football and it's the right read and throw, you've done a very good job. And you've expanded that decision-making window. But that's the stuff you can fill in after the fact. So when all of you who are listening to this, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to start watching quarterbacks. I just, I, I know it in my heart. And I love you all for it. And there will be time to yell at me about my evaluations and tell me that I'm dead wrong and send me the angry DMs. I read them all. Have that frame of reference in the back of your mind when you do it. Mobility, leverage slash accuracy, however you want to sort of term it in your mind. And I think you will find that there are some guys in this class that are really good at stuff like that. And there are some guys that are a little bit iffier. And then we get into balancing the traits and what scheme fit makes the most sense and all that stuff. And that's for January and February and March. But right now, that should be your sort of baseline approach. And as always, look, if you've got questions, stuff that you're seeing, a play you want to ask me about, whatever, you know my DMs are open. 
You can be a part of the Scotia Slack channel. We've got positional channels set up to debate prospects and all that stuff. You can hop into the quarterback room. Um, I am here to help educate as best as I can with the backdrop of as a failed, has-been, never-was, Division three horrible quarterback with the stats I told you about a couple weeks ago. Still, I know bad quarterback play. I know that. So listen, this season has is it's over. It's done. 2020 is over. It's gone. Now we start talking about 2021. That starts with evaluating the guys that we have on the roster right now. That includes Cam Newton and Jared Stidham. At some point, Stidham needs to get a start. Whether it's week 16 or week 17, that I don't know. My inkling, if it were me, it would be week 17. I would give Cam a chance to go up against this Bills defense one more time. But at some point, Stidham has to be given the opportunity to approach an entire week of football as the starting quarterback to see how he handles it. Because as I talked about last week, you have to start the top-to-bottom roster evaluation process. And the quarterback position is where everybody wants to focus, and so that's what we're going to focus on right now. So the evaluation process begins now, both for the Patriots themselves and for us as fans. Watch it and observe it. That will be it for now. Christmas Eve. That will be the next episode for me. Christmas Eve morning. Thursday morning. It is going to be a mailbag show. Um, please send in questions about anything. Anything you want to talk about. I'm going to be doing a mailbag show for Christmas Eve. And I'm going to be doing another mailbag show next week for New Year's Eve. Um, that one's going to be completely wide open. Like, ask me... Any, any question you want for the Christmas Eve, like year-end special, Hubaloo, you know, Scotiopalooza, whatever you want to call it. You can ask me, you know, whatever you want. But this one, you know, another mailbag. We'll do two mailbags kind of out of the last three shows of the year to close things out. Um, but this one, send in some questions. You always send in good ones. Um, I'll remind you throughout the week on Twitter and the Slack channel and everything else. Until then, friends, uh, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. And wash those hands. When you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots' reigns down in Foxborough.